Hello, my friends. It's been a minute. I believe it's uh, been about a two-week gap between the last show uh, and this episode. Welcome back to Tales from a Cult Insider. This is season two, uh, episode number 30 total for both seasons. I really ought to be saying like season two, episode six or something, I guess. But no, we're just going to go with episode 30. Uh, It's called Post-Cult Story 2. Don't cut off my hand, bro. Uh, This is a significant story. Uh, It's actually a couple of stories and rolled up into one thematically connected story topic thing. I'll just, yeah, it's it's, it's rolled up into one theme. Okay, here we go, Jared. Let's not ramble. I know it's late. Uh, I want to give you the quick intro to the the podcast and then we'll get right into this. Uh, No questions outstanding. Looks like the questions have tapered off. That's just fine by me. So, I am your insider, your former unwilling cultist, your former, I didn't realize it, sort of Scientologist, Jared Garrett. I'm here to tell you some stories. You've already heard a bunch of them if you have listened listened to these in sequence. Quick recap, of course, I was born and raised in this actual cult. It uh, was a commune. We lived in a commune, essentially. It started out in the 60s as an offshoot of Scientology. At the time, it was called the Process Church of the Final Judgment, and it became sort of infamous uh, in the UK, later in the USA. Uh, when I was born, the cult actually broke apart, and I wasn't the cause of it, but it happened in my, at that time. Into people dedicated to this process portion, which is a little more Scientology-esque, and those dedicated to something different, uh, which was called the Foundation Faith of the Millennium, both of which were still cults. And I don't know about the process, but the foundation remains strongly a commune. Foundation Faith of the Millennium evolved into the Foundation Faith of God, which is now the Best Friends Animal Society. Not a cult anymore. Although there is certainly a lot of worship of dogs and cats and animals, I don't think it's misplaced. It's great. They do good work. So, um, I'm here because I wanted to tell you stories. For a little while, I had some anger to work through. I think I'm mostly through it. Um... Some of these episodes did serve as for me to kind of work through some of that and talk about stuff. If you have questions, feel free to send them. Uh, we've got probably 12, excuse me, six to eight more episodes for the whole show. And then we're just going to be done because the stories will be told. Um, I want to give you an idea for what's coming up. I've got, uh, of course, this pod, this episode. And then we've got, uh, again, about six to eight. Uh, we've got stuff about... Uh, a rather unexpected, hugely weird event uh, that came right after another even more weird event in some aspects, which will be the next episode. I've got some stuff. I'll have an episode about some of the good stuff that we experienced in the cult. It wasn't all the worst thing possible ever, right? Um, There were still bright spots because that's just, I mean, these people weren't evil in every aspect of their lives. Some of their behavior sure did look bad, um, but there was still some good stuff. And talk about, I will reveal a a deep, dark secret uh, that I have not ever shared in public before. Um, Don't worry, uh, honey. My dear wife, I'm talking to you. I know you don't listen to this, though. Uh, It won't be anything really personal. It'll just be something I've never actually shared. And I don't know if she she even knows. So I'll talk about uh, what led to my escape, my final escape, uh, what came after. And somewhere in amongst that, I'm actually going to read a chapter or two from my memoir. Um, just so you have a, an idea for what's in that thing uh, and some of the more empowering experiences that I had as I uh, figured out my life uh, somewhat in the cult and much, much later from after getting out. So uh, without further ado, wrong, it's without further ado, my friends. Let's get into this 
Don't Cut Off My Hand, Bro series of stories. Uh, we'll have a little ado later at the end of this uh, this episode, but we're glad you're here. We're being the royal we. I'm glad you're here. You know what? I'm going to do a little more ado. I hope you can bear with me. Life has been busy. Um, I have increased responsibility in, uh, in my church, um, and uh, I have uh, rededicated myself to taking more time to spend with the kids, to listen to them. I mean, I am the main, um, essentially, homemaker. I plan the shopping and do the shopping and plan the menus and all that stuff. Um, get the kids, essentially, I, I take the kids where, where they need to be. My wife, she's participates in that and in as much as she can, but she's a law student, guys, so it's she's very constrained, and it's there's no resentment. It's just this is how these things are right now. Um, the time is short. Um, and I haven't written a whole lot of uh, new words and books lately, which is a real shame. Um, creating, telling stories, it's a huge part of me, and so I'm trying to get into it, trying to find some time, trying to find something I can do less of so I can actually write. Uh, it's, it's a struggle, um, but I have been, uh, my time has been significantly cut into due to circumstances of life, um, and it's actually almost 2 in the morning. For me to record this and so my voice is probably a little strained i will uh hopefully keep this episode a little shorter so that i don't wake up tomorrow fairly early on a saturday uh with a voice that is not functioning because i need to talk to some local uh, members of my church so um yeah they, so my voice might sound a little bad i shouldn't have consumed all of my sparkling water it could have lubricated things up a little bit i think okay so let's get into don't cut off my hand bro so um, this is a post-cult story, so this is after I got out, and I haven't explained how I got out. But I did mention in the other post-cult story about how shy I was and how my friends played a, a really important part in my coming out of that shy shell. You know, the dancing, the bungalowing, the RPGing, especially D&D, a little shadow run later. Uh, these friends who seemed essentially pre, pre-fabbed for me, which is a very, you know... Uh, me-centric worldview, so I don't actually believe that. But it, it it was a boon. It was a grace for me to be able to arrive uh, in Kanab and have these delightful, generous, warm, wonderful, weird people for me to join in with. Um, and I am grateful today. I have been grateful for decades, and I will never not be grateful to them for all of their goodness. One of the things they led me to was the drama club. Now, this is Kanab, and it's a smaller town back, it's still a small town now, but it was even smaller then, and a little less cosmo, a lot less cosmopolitan. It was in the transition stage of going from um, a city that, or a small city, that is supported by the lumber industry on the Kaibab um, forest, which had been shut down due to environment, uh, not environmental, I think an endangered species of a bug of some kind shut down the, t- the, the, the lumber industry down there. Um, and it was trying to transition into being uh, supported fully by the tourist industry and maybe a couple of natural resource industries nearby, but nothing too major as far as I know. And so it was a town trying to find its feet again. Um, luckily, Stampin' Up! came in and helped a lot with with the boost of the economy. And then the way Best Friends took off and became a real established, legit organization, um, it helped as well. But back in my day, back in my day, uh, we had, um, we you know, it was different. 
uh, and, and but it was not what you think in a small town. When I went to the drama club, um, there were plenty of boys and there were plenty of girls. It, it didn't seem like there was any hurt for either boys or girls, which is sometimes unusual, I think, or had been unusual. I think more and more there are boys who get into, into theater. Um, one of the problems, though, of course, is that most, not most, maybe, maybe not most today, but up until very recently, the majority of roles in theater productions have been for males, right? And as we know, males even played female parts in, in Shakespeare's time, which is, you know, that was the time. Looking back, we're like, that's stupid and that's misogynistic, whatever. Uh, patriarchy, down with it. Yeah, patriarchy, you know, false uh, and artificially male power systems, they ought to go. I agree. So um, this drama club seemed fairly evenly split. There were plenty of boys. They were doing lots of really great productions. Uh, a lady named Donna Casebolt was the um, community-found uh, drama club teacher. So she... I don't think she was fully employed by the school district, but I, th I sure hope she got paid for all the time she put in. She was the director of the drama club. She wasn't a teacher at the school. So she would, I think, just show up for club. Um, and when I came, when I showed up, they were, um, they had done a, a really great, really triumphant production the school year before of Oklahoma and of Dracula. And, and, and they'd come off so well, these really ambitious, big productions. And, and the talent pool in Kanab is wildly, weirdly deep. Um, young men and young women who would just really go, really dig deep to, to, to perform great singing, dancing, acting. Some of the, some very good actors came out of there. Um, one of them is my good friend Javin, who is the, uh, one, the artistic director, I think, for the Sting and Honey. He's the one of the founding members of the Sting and Honey Theater Company in Salt Lake. They put on good shows. He's an excellent writer. I've got one of his poetry chapbooks, and he's an excellent uh, theater director. Um, and uh, anyway, so he was one of the people in these shows, um, along with many other people who became my friends. And um, when I arrived, the day I arrived, they were doing um, just a, a cold read of A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisevich, um, a short one-act play for a regional drama competition and hopefully to win uh, or to place high enough to go to state, which is glorious. And, and Kanab had done quite well with uh, acting uh, dra competitions over the years. And so this was a cold read. So uh, Donna, Case Bolt, Donna, she, she's amazing. She's amazing. I love her uh, and will never not. She she was just so generous and kind and, and good, but also extremely polished and extremely demanding of what we did. Uh, she knew her stuff and still does. Um, thank you, Donna, for everything you did. In any case, um, so I was the newcomer and I was quite shy. Uh, and so I don't know that I got involved in that cold read. Um, but my friend Jared Croft was there. Uh, uh, Billy Hayborn was there. He's a professor now at SUU. And Jared Croft, he's, he's some highly intellectual um, person doing some sort of amazing engineering, I believe. Um, and quite a few others were there doing, um, in this case, unfortunately, pretty much all male parts because this is a play about um, Russian uh, prisoners in, uh, I think, a gulag is what you call it, in Siberia. Uh, just terrible, terrible conditions. Um, and that's what Alexander Solzhenitsyn, 
the writer of A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich wanted to portray was uh, their life in this gulag out in uh, Siberia and also how humanity is still there and how struggle is still there. And you, it's not just our spirits are destroyed and we hate life. Uh, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful play. And, uh, you know, there was this cold read and um, we did another one later just to kind of get a little more auditioning going on. Um, and, and that seemed like that's how Donna decided who, who should be different parts. So I, I ended up, the next time I went to, to drama club, I read uh, for a couple of different parts um, just to see. One of them was um, Bunovsky, uh, and another was Gopchik. Um, and Gopchik was a younger guy. He, he, he was one of the youngest in uh, the Gulag. He, he was, I think he was supposed to be a, a teenager, almost a boy. Um, I, that's how we, we, we felt about his character, at least. And I wound up getting the role of Gopchik, which makes plenty of sense because I had a baby face, <laughs> a significant baby face. Uh, and, and, you know, and unless my voice is tired like it is now, uh, in general, my speaking voice, it can be fairly high. At least it could be back then. I think now it's worn down into the uh, gravitas of a grown man and stuff. Or maybe it's just, you know, it's it's like, you know, Owen Wilson, you know. he's Maybe my voice is like it. I'm kidding. I like to do imitations of Owen Wilson. He's good. I can't do, you know, uh, I, I can't do like uh, the guy that everybody's doing. Um, I can't do any uh, many other impressions. I, for some reason, I couldn't think of names. It's probably because it's two in the morning, Jared. Uh, I got the role of Gopchik, and Gopchik uh, was a he was a source of a lot of the conflict in the story. He had an infected arm um, in the show, and so the doctor um, wants to cut off Gopchik's hand. My opening line, which, if I recall. I don't think it was the opening scene of the whole show, but it was the opener of a scene uh, early in the show. Uh, and and Gopchik is out relatively early on in the show because there's an escape um, planned and ex- executed, and it's very poorly done. Uh, people die in it, and I believe Gopchik is one of those guys who dies. So he... Um, but I forget. I, I may be remembering that wrong. I should do research, but guess what, guys? I don't script these, and I don't do research for them. Um my opening line was, you would cut off my hand? And I was still so self-conscious that I really struggled with connecting with the, the fear, the surprise, the despair, the worn downness that is in that line. Um, how everything's been taken from you. You've been sent to a gulag. You're in Siberia. It's frigid cold. And um, now you're going to lose the ability to use your hand. Um, how much more can a person take, you know? I never really connected with it very well, but I did my best, and it was okay, and it was good enough for the show, but everybody else in that show was great. Nathan Roberts was great. Bill Hayborn was great. Nathan Riddle was glorious. Uh, everybody was, was, it was just a really well-done show, um, and we got really high marks at the, uh, at the regional drama meet um, where, <clears throat> where, we, where we performed it. Um, we performed it for the for the school as well and for the public. They got to come for a one-night show, I believe it was, and, and it went, went well. Uh, and as we went along, I got better with, with my line of, you would cut off my hand and the rest of my lines. I, as I recall, I forgot my line uh, at one point. Um, this was brand new to me. You know, <clears throat> there was no prep time. No, you know, get, get your feet under you for a school year. This, there was, 
uh, go whole hog. You've got one year of public high school, Jared. Dive in, dive in deep, and go. That was my attitude at this point. Um, I had come out of my shell generally, but there was still plenty more developing to do. Uh, but I am grateful for that experience. I uh, got a bit of an acting bug. I mean, I already knew that I, I, I could probably act okay, and I had a good handle on voices and accents a little bit. <clears throat> had a lot more to go. I've got a lot more accents today. Um, and uh, But that was a really good entree to, um, to acting for me. And it also became the source of a, of a friendship that I value to today. So I was Gopchik, and this man named Bunovsky, or Nathan Riddle, became the character Bunovsky, and he also got an award at the regional for best actor, um, <clears throat> or best like supporting actor, because he's great. And probably Javin was in the show, and I'm pre he, pre he almost certainly got an award for being best actor in the show, because uh, that's how he rolls, man. Um, but Nathan and I just, we hit it off really well. And so sometimes we joke at each other, you know, we're on stage, we're doing rehearsal. He'd go walking by and he'd walk like kind of funny with his feet sticking to the floor. And he'd say, gop chick, gop chick, gop chick with every step. Uh, and so I would, you know, tease back and act like I was sneezing and say, Habinovsky, Habinovsky. And that was just a silly thing that we teased each other with. And uh, we have to pause for a quick station identification and then we'll come right back to other uh, experiences with drama and how they important they were in my um, getting my feet under me and finding myself. I hope you enjoyed that delightful and delicious advertisement. Wow, that was terrible. Advertisement? Commercial? Uh, here we are. We're back. We're talking about theater. So my friend Nathan and I would go at each other. It was fun. We got along really well. We started hanging out uh, quite a lot by the end of um, the school year. Uh, we're in quite a few more shows together. Um, quite a few. I think we were in every other show for the rest of the year uh, together. Uh, one was called uh, Klondike Calamity, which was a full-on melodrama. I got the main hero's part, the main mounted mountie, man, upright. My name was Roger Upright, a, a dismounted or something mountie. I was shamed or I, I'd, I'd uh, fallen or something and, and, and had been disbarred or whatever it's called. Uh, but I was trying to find my way back, and it was all the drama, melodrama that you expect with the mustache. You must pay the rent. I might, can't pay the rent. And then tied to the rail tra railroad tracks. I got a couple of new actors show up for that show, Carlos and Jeremy, really, really good men, um, and had a great time with it. And um, I also, at Regional Drama, did my own uh, act. It was just a single scene of, I think they call it a dramatic monologue. At least they did at the time. And it was called Grandpa Waves the, Waves the Flag, and I played an old man with uh, hair dusted gray and wrinkles made, made up on my face. And it was just me waxing old man poetic, I guess, about, you know, history and about the town. And a lot of funny bits, a um, lot of good physical comedy here and there. And I did okay with it, actually. I, I felt really good about it and did pretty well. I got really high marks at the regional. I didn't place because, I mean, honestly, uh, Tara Thomas was there um, and Javin Tanner was there and several other astonishing actors. So there was no way I was gonna place, but I had a great time and made some delightful friends. Um, and so uh, that was that theater experience. Now there's more. So um, <clears throat> I, I mentioned already that I, I helped manage the Best Friends store, the thrift store for a little while right after uh, getting there. And, but when school was over, um, I, I needed to make more money. And so, 
we, we heard as school was getting close to ending, I think Donna even passed it on, that there was a theater troupe coming to town, setting up shop for the summer at the Old Barn Playhouse. And they were going to do dinner theater, cowboy dinner theater. And they were making a call for, for auditions. And so quite a few, quite a few of us uh, seniors and juniors and even sophomores went out to, to audition for this, see if we could get summer jobs as actors. I mean, a professional actor, that that's awesome, right? So we tried out. Nathan and I, I'm certain Cresta was there. Quite a few others were there um, who maybe didn't have giant plans for the summer. Quite a few of the, the seniors that I was with, though, did have plans for the summer. Uh, they were either going off to college or going off on uh, LDS church missions and stuff. Um, for me, I just wanted to make some money, date some girls and stuff. Um, Nathan and I got cast into this. I actually got cast into the hero role again. Uh, it was a... Uh, it was a melodrama, so it was dinner theater, a melodrama done on stage, surrounded by cowboy actors. Uh, and so this melodrama stage show gets done, but it, the context is still a fictional Old West saloon that's serving you dinner, um, and that is also having a show go on. So there's some great stunts. We used six shooters with blanks and had to shoot you know, at, a, at, a, at an angle away to make sure nobody even got struck with the powder that came comes from blanks. Uh, learned some stunts. I learned to use a whip. Um, Nathan and I got had some great times in the streets of Kanab, wandering it and doing little stunts and doing little skits to try to drum up business to the to the playhouse. And uh, you know, the, the, it seemed like the show did okay. It had pretty good attendees. The old bar, old barn is right behind Perry's Lodge, and I believe Perry's Lodge was offering these really good package deals to these package tourists. Um, and it seemed like they did okay. Uh, I don't remember ever being paid, uh, except for maybe once. Maybe you know, maybe I was paid once. Um, so. Uh, financially, not so great. Uh, but as experience goes, it was great because the show was awesome and uh, people kept dropping out of the show. And so Nathan wound up doing, I think, five parts and I wound up doing three. And one night I had to fill in for him uh, for on a couple of his parts. So I ended up doing four or five parts and some other folks took his other parts. It was funny. Uh, we had a really, really good time. Man, what a, what a good memory. But the biggest part of the memory for me there uh, the most meaningful outside of how great that was, was that Nathan and I would go and get a burger from the terrible stage stop. Taste stop was, is really upped its game now. They used to have this conveyor belt, uh, burger fryer. You could put a, get a, fr a frozen patty out of the freezer right under it. Uh, you'd put it on this conveyor belt kind of chain and it would go through this flame broiler, uh, conveyed through, and then it would flop, flop out the bottom and it would be a cooked burger. You'd get your buns, you put it on there, you put your mayonnaise and mustard and ketchup or whatever else, maybe some pickles, and then we'd eat these terrible, terrible burgers on the Red, red Rock wall right outside the middle school and talk till late in the night, you know, with our drink and our burger. Really cheap, man. I think it was two or three bucks. Uh, this was a while ago, guys. This was a while ago, back in 92. So, um... Now, those ch those conversations changed the course of my life. I didn't realize it, but things heard, things felt, things said um, became uh, a huge part of the changes that I made later in life. So there we go. But there's been more theater in my life. There's been quite a lot more theater in my life. Actually, after graduating from high school, I stuck around in Kanab for a while, um, for a whole school year. And I substitute taught uh, in Kanab in the school that I had just graduated from and the elementary and the middle school. It was really an experience, um, really fun. And I came on as the assistant drama club director because Donna moved on. 
And I still don't know why. I think she ended up having to go make, maybe go to, go to work or something. Um, but she moved on. And so they brought in somebody else who had her heart in the right place. And that's all I'll say about her, except for that she wasn't a good director and never had her stuff together. Um, so I was assistant director. So I basically ran the show. I chose the outsiders. I directed my friends, um, and quite a few other folks who became my friends in this really pretty good production of the outsiders. And I had to actually play a part in it because we didn't have enough older guys. Um, so I played, uh, Daryl's, um, enemy essentially in the rumble that they have in the outsiders. Uh, it was great. I got in a lot of trouble because I had my, uh, my, my cast uh, smoke fake cigarettes on stage. And boy, people freaked out after the first show. So those were shut right down. Um, you know, better to ask forgiveness and, and permission in this case. It was a great effect. It looked really great. Thanks, Chris Mosdell. Byron, you're, also, you're awesome. Um, and then I wound up joining the LDS Church, uh, going on a mission within a year, uh, and within just over a year. And then I came back. But when I came back, I got back in uh, June ish uh, a couple years later and the moment I got back like I walked in the house after being picked up from the airport by my father who this was the first day I ever I'd ever called him dad coming home from a mission that was a decision that we that you know he said as I got off the airplane and he's, I said hey and gave each other hugs and he said hey call me dad okay and so I did and that was a nice turning point we've we've built a good relationship um I walk in the house and there's an invitation for Javin's wedding. He married Tara Thomas. Um, they were great. And they had been, so I missed, I, I missed their wedding. Um, but it was nice that that was there. And there was a note on the back and it said, Jared, you're in our play. Uh, find me. <laughs> Javin and Tara had been uh, contracted by Canab City to put on a production, uh, a summer theater production, which was a, a tradition. They were going to do My Fair Lady, and they got some local people who I didn't know, but they were crazy talented. A husband and wife who could sing and could act, one to be um, Professor Higgins, one to be Eliza Doolittle. Um, you can figure out who did what, right? And I, I, Javin said, you're in the show. And so, fine, sure. So I took, uh, I took on three roles, uh, very, very minor roles, but I was, so I was on stage actually still 50 to 60% of the time. I was one of the Cockneys. I was a lord. Um, I learned to do a Viennese waltz through it. I learned better to get my Cockney accent down. Would you be needing a good butler, Eliza? Right. Um, did a lot of singing. Um, had uh, a woman from the cult who I guess had left. Um, Coach me on some of that singing. That was really nice. Um, and uh, that was a really great experience. It was such a good experience because when I came home from my mission, I was really kind of trying to figure out what was going on. You know, I'd had this amazing fundamentally me core changing experience on the mission in Brazil working with these beautiful people having companions who taught me and stretched me and pushed me and it was really good um, had to be a leader out there for a while really got to know myself but I didn't know how to not be a missionary when I got home I didn't know how to be a regular person because I had never really had time to be and so doing that play having those forced interactions got me more, got me into an equilibrium that I, that I am very grateful for. Um, I got to dance with this very tall, willowy, brilliant woman, um, Vreken, Jessica Vreken, I think Jessica Vreken. Uh, my sister married her, her, her brother many years later for, for a little while. Um, 
yeah, it was it was just it was great. It was a great experience, and I'm thankful to Javin and Tara for being so forceful. I wound up being prop master and also helping with uh, the set, because you know what else am I going to do? I love these guys; they're my friends. Um, and after that, I went to school, college, and um, went to a writing class and met this astonishing girl, and uh, we bonded very quickly. And my friends, can you guess what we might have bonded over? You probably can't. We bonded over theater. She had grown up in a regular family in, in Anchorage, Alaska, and she had done a ton of theater her whole high school. She loved it. She was a theater and media, media arts major, but she was also, I mean, interested in so many other things, uh, linguistics, writing, geology, um, all kinds of sciences. She's very good at math too. Uh, but we bonded over theater, our high school theater experiences. My friends, I married her. And we had bonded over theater. And I would not have been able to bond, bond with this delightful woman, Anne-Marie, if I hadn't had those theater experiences. And if I hadn't had that art, that performative art, open my soul up to, to this power, the power of performative art, like, like theater and then musical theater. And so we had... We had so much to talk about because of how, how important it had been to my life. And theater got me a family, guys. It worked out, my friends. So good. And I actually got to be work with her. Uh, she took a directing class, um, I think maybe more than one. And I wound up, uh, she asked me to be in her, so she had to uh, direct several scenes. And I was in every scene that she directed except for maybe one. Um, I was in a scene from Importance of Being Earnest. Um, one about cities or towns, I forget. Small town? Is that one? No, that's not right. That's not right. I can't remember. Her friend directed me in a, in a, in, in a scene, I think, with Anne-Marie, my wife. Um, theater has always been, since, since those first experiences, has always been a huge part of us. You know, we wound up doing a theater study abroad in London sometime after we got married and, and had an incredible experience. We were there for 49 days with... Three, a three-day weekend in Scotland and a three-day weekend in Paris. And I just pointed north and I just pointed east because I know where they are and I love them. Uh, Edinburgh was a beautiful town. We spent that time in London. But with a three-day weekend in each of those places, we still saw 50 shows. And we never saw a show on Sunday. We doubled up like crazy. It was extraordinary. Theater has been a huge part of our lives. It still is a huge part of our lives. Our kids are into it. Not all of them, but our kids are into it. And uh, to this day, I will, uh, I, I can say with certainty that theater was a, absolutely, thoroughly, and fundamentally changed my life. Um, dance and my friends got me out of the shell initially. Theater helped me find myself through pretending to be somebody else. Um, helped me find my own voice, more at least, through using other people's voices. Uh, and I, I, I can't describe, I can't explain the science of that um, or the healing of that, but it sure was important to me. And so that is why I named this Don't Cut Off My Hand, Bro, since that's my first line ever in any kind of theater of any kind of consequence. I want to mention one quick thing, and I'll probably bring it up a little more on the more of the good stuff. Um, we did skits a lot in the foundation. Uh, Jason uh, spent some ungodly sum of money on a camcorder uh, back in, it was like in 89. Uh, so it was a big old camcorder. 
and he had us write and perform movies, which was actually pretty fun. And I was in, there were four groups and stuff, and I'll tell more about that later in, in, in the episode about um, some of the good things. So that, because that was a, a some positive experience to do that. Um, I like to act and it shows in my, uh, my audiobooks and uh, in my ability to teach and perform and keep people's attention. So that is my episode about theater, about where it began and how it continues to influence my life. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, share it with theater geeks. Tell them, hey, theater can change your life. If nothing else, if you do enough of it, you can bond with a brilliant, um, life-together, hardworking, disciplined mind, beautiful woman or man, depending on your preferences and what you like to do with your life. Um, you can bond with people. You can have shared experiences and you can uh, wind up pretty dang happy. Look to me. You can learn it by watching me. So that's this episode. I want to thank you very much, very much for tuning in. I want to remind you of two quick things. Uh, I wouldn't mind your support. There's a link there in the d description on some of the platforms, probably not on Apple iTunes, but that's okay. Um, and reviews. I, I have recently done some research and found that this is a pretty well-reviewed podcast wherever it, it, it lands and wherever people have actually taken the time to review. Thank you so much for reviewing it so well. Please continue to. Well-reviewed things like this are more visible, and I wouldn't mind my story getting out more so I could show up on Ellen and she could, you know, help me get a book deal because I've written the memoir, which you'll hear some of. Uh, and so please do review. Uh, tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Uh, and that's all I got for you. So that's all. Uh, come back in a week or so <laughs> for episode 31, which is called We Were Robbed. Until then, uh, thanks for being here with me, insider friends, and uh, stay thirsty. Hold on. Wait a minute. Stay thirsty? That's like a meme today, isn't it? I'm going to have to say something else. Oh, I don't want to be double entendre or be a, a meme lord or whatever it's called these days. What's what's my uh, sign-off? My sign-off is actually going to be stay thirsty. I don't give a damn. Pardon my French. I don't give a darn. Stay thirsty, my friends. I'll see you soon. <laughs>